Fan Drive Time, Sportsnet 590, The Fan, Sportsnet 360, Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy. NBA playoffs resume tonight with the Western Conference Final in Denver. Lakers, Nuggets, that'll be fun. Um, but before that, I believe it's before that, or is it at halftime? No, they do it before, it's right? 8 o'clock yeah. is the draft lottery as a lead into the game at 8.30. By the way, if you are a basketball fan and you even think of looking at the schedule for the next two weeks, let me stop you right there. Mm. It is immaculate no extra days off no no days with two games Mm -hmm. not even a change in start time 8 30 p.m eastern every single day until these series wrap up it is an immaculate schedule that's really good like yeah that we have games in the pacific time zone but everybody's just you know they're gonna suck it up and play at 5 30 pacific we also have it confirmed already that the nba finals every game will tip off at 8 30 except the sunday ones might tip off at 8 Okay, so I'd imagine that comes down. Well, no, because the finals will start after succession's over. So Mm. it's not even a succession consideration. All right. I like all of that. Um, Do I like that the Raptors have a 1% chance of landing uh, Victor Webanyama? Well, you like better than zero. You like it more than zero. Yeah, Yeah, it's better than the NHL. I mean, so much of the way the NBA draft lottery is weighted is so much better than the way the NHL weights its draft lottery. I think the, the best part of it is that the Pistons, Spurs, and Rockets all have identical 14% chances of landing uh, the first overall selection. But the Raptors, yeah, 1% at, at landing number one. It's almost what, like a 5% chance of, of jumping into the top four. Four and change. So for anyone who doesn't know, because it does work a little differently than hockey uh, and then baseball. So um, anyone who didn't make the playoffs, uh, and that includes losing the play-in. If you won yeah. the play-in, you lost your lottery chances. Um, so anyone who didn't make the playoffs, everyone has a chance to be picked into the top four. They lotto for the top four picks, but then after that, everything else just goes in order. So the Raptors' only scenarios tonight are 1, 2, 3, 4, mm-hmm. 13, and 14. Yeah. And the only way they could go down to 14 is if the team in 14th right. gets an even – it's an even smaller right. percentage chance. It is – the New Orleans Pelicans have half the chance the Raptors have, a, a big old 0.5%. Well, and the Raptors jumping to a number one would be the biggest upset in NBA draft history. Uh, Chris Weber to the Magic in 93. 1.3. 1.52. Okay. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it would be big. But here's the thing. <laughs> and unlikely. Here's how probabilities work. Yeah. Um, that has absolutely no, <laughs> no bearing no. on the draft lottery tonight. And the draft lottery tonight, there will be 1,001 ping pong ball combinations and the Toronto Raptors will have 10 of them. Mm-hmm. And that has nothing to do with any other year. It has nothing to do with the fact that the Raptors have moved back in the lottery five times up in the lottery, three times mm-hmm. stayed neutral eight times, just moved up for Scotty, but none of that stuff matters. It's a completely new thing. And unfortunately there's no karma in it because then we would see things like uh, the Dallas Mavericks uh, well, not, not keeping their pick. Yeah. And if anyone's curious, so the Dallas Mavericks uh, only keep their pick if they finish in the top 10 mm. in the lottery and the Chicago Bulls who owe their pick to Orlando from the Vucevic deal. Actually, if they landed in the top three, they'd get to keep their pick. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a, that's a, they have a 6% chance of landing in the top three. So a couple of considerations like that as well for the Raptors. The big one though is, yeah, you got a 4.7% chance at bumping into the top four. And a 2.3% chance of sliding back to 14? Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about the karmaic uh, implications of of tonight's Mm -hmm. NBA draft lottery. Because there's a big fish uh, at the very top of the board. And Victor Women, Longest fish I've ever seen. He's eight feet tall. Um, No, he's insane, right? Um, The the, the potential of him in an NBA uniform is is outrageous. Um, Who 
is well okay we know who the worst case scenario is and it is I, you mentioned it's the Dallas Mavericks who mm-hmm. tank their way into avoiding the play in tournament altogether despite the fact they have an MVP candidate in Luka Doncic they're the worst absolute worst a disgrace should have been banned from the the draft that would have been the proper punishment honestly yeah. but here they are they're in it who deserves this first overall selection deserve and what I think would be the most fun are slightly different. Okay, well, let's do but both. I'm, I'm going to merge them, and I'm going to say the Oklahoma City Thunder. Uh, they, do, they, do they deserve it? They would be... They didn't tank this year, but man, it, they have a long history of tanking. Sure, but what did they do once Shea became an MVP caliber guy and once they had enough pieces in place? They didn't pull the plug on it. They didn't run away from being in the play-in. They didn't uh, run away from that experience. It was a far less egregious tank. They also have a little bit of karma in their favor, I think, in that they just drafted number one, but the guy was hurt and missed the entire year. Or not number one, but they drafted in the lottery. No, yeah. and, and Chet Holmgren missed the entire year. They also, this is their own fault, but they completely whiffed on the, the Pokashevsky pick, which uh, me and everyone else on like smart draft Twitter, uh, big old... Swing and miss on that one. Yeah. Um, and I, I just think the Thunder are ready to compete and have a boatload of cap space and have Shea playing at an MVP level. You drop Wemby into there. Like, they are immediately the number one league pass team in they, the they entire They already NBA. have an MVP candidate, though, right? Like, it's not... Okay. Right, but I... And, and they were... Yeah, they were a, a play-in tournament team. Like, you without Wemby... They're, they're still good. And it's one of the right. teams that you expect to be on the ascension. And, yeah, they've been in and around the lottery. And they, again, they didn't tank this year, but they're, they're routinely – I mean, look at the, okay. the number of picks that they've acquired, right? Like, right. this has been a team that has no interest in winning for a half decade, closer to a decade. But that's that's fine with me because once I, they me got, too, once but they they did got it. So, to but, that point, yeah. they didn't – like I, I, You accumulated the assets already. Yeah. That's, like, you don't deserve any more. You don't need any more. To me, it's like, do we really want to see Greg Popovich go out like this? Like, give him, give the man something. So I do like that, and I, I like, you know, I, I don't think the Spurs have had the the best couple of years, and I don't know how close Greg Popovich is to retiring, but I think that they're uh, an organization that has shown you absolutely they can, if they do get that fortune, they can build around it and turn it into something mm-hmm. fun and beautiful and, and interesting. Deserve um, is an interesting one there too, though, because we, yeah, we talked about David Robinson. Yeah, yeah I mean, they, they, they did the kind Duncan of had a franchise-altering <laughs> one of those already. Um, that know, wasn't their fault. Yeah, and, and so I, I don't have it, like, in a ranking necessarily, but I, I, the teams that I find interesting beyond Oklahoma City and San Antonio, I do think Detroit getting it, even though they've also been in it for a couple of years, mm-hmm. like the Cade-Wemby duo mm-hmm. would be really, really fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, if we were going just deserve, though, kind of, and I, I hate to say this because they did pull the plug on it this year and, and they're an annoying team, Portland sticking by Dame and trying every single year and never avoiding this. And then finally they like, they just relent because Dame's hurt and they have no other, like, yeah. And it's such a good basketball market. Yeah. That's it. You want, yeah. You want Wemby to go to a place where, yeah, they're going to care. Like I don't want him in Washington. No, I don't Charlotte or like, yeah, we don't need any of that. Charlotte would be really cool basketball wise. If you could promise me LaMelo ball was actually going to be healthy. Yeah, you can't. Yeah, you can't. Um, I would I would be fine with Orlando. I think him and Paolo could be a, a cool, yeah. fun thing. And Orlando's been in the lottery for a really long time, mm-hmm. but it's not because they've been aggressively tanked. They just like they've been bad. Yeah. So I don't mind a perennial bad team <laughs> yeah. getting it as much as a team that's you know uh, bottoming out. It, I, I've seen some people say Utah's fun and like they had kind of a similar to what I laid out with mm-hmm. the Thunder. I just don't think they're as interesting a team. 
No, because they play in Utah. Uh, also, just like they don't have other like like they have good players, but they yeah. don't have like okay, who's the running mate? Who's like they don't yeah, have the Shea or the Dame no. or the Cade that that kind of snaps it into this team is immediately interesting. Okay, um, it could be though, as you mentioned, the Pistons who have an opening at the head coaching position, as do like all the most interesting teams in the NBA. Five openings right now uh, because the Philadelphia 76ers, as everybody could have predicted fired Doc Rivers after three consecutive second-round exits. He uh, now has 10 Game 7 losses as a head coach. That's twice as many as any other head coach in NBA history. He's got a 6-10 and 10 record in those Game 7s, and uh, ESPN Stats and Info has him losing five straight Game 7s. Uh, that's I, be- I believe really it's bad. also 12 consecutive, 11 or 12 consecutive losses now when his teams have a chance to punch their that's ticket to the conference finals. Insane. Like, he's been asymptotic to the conference finals ever since that Celtics uh, championship, which, again, he won, but that was like 200 years ago at this point. It was. So now we're looking at 76ers yep. with a job opening with Joel Embiid, who just won the MVP, um, a deep, deep-pocketed ownership group. The James Harden question kind of hanging over that, whether he's going to leave and whether you even want to re-sign him to a max deal if he doesn't leave. There are some complicated roster things there, but you have the MVP and a front office with deep pockets. You have the Bucks, mm-hmm. who won a title two minutes ago and have probably the greatest player on the planet mm-hmm. in Giannis. Now, again, some roster, you know, Chris Middleton's getting older and, and not worth the the contract. And you've traded away a, a whole bunch of assets and stuff like that. You have Giannis. Mm-hmm. You have the Phoenix Suns who, again, they traded in a bunch of stuff. They don't have a lot of depth. They have a nasty cap sheet. They have Kevin Durant and Devin Booker. Yeah. It's pretty and good. I mean, if you're going to reshape things, DeAndre Ayton and Chris Paul are, Interesting pieces. You also have, again, a deep-pocketed new owner who just ate $21 million to say goodbye to Monty Williams, finally dragging the Suns to being the 29th of 30 teams with a G League team now. Like, this guy's ready to spend. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those are the three, like, win-now scenarios. Detroit is kind of a fringy one in that if they don't win the lottery, that's still, like, they still look a couple years away from being an interesting like that that what about, uh, scoot like what, scoot's a pretty good runner-up prize scoot and Cade yeah uh, uh we would need to see like Cade was a phenomenal shooter in college he struggled with it a little bit in the NBA for those two to be I mean they would be tremendously fun but someone's got to shoot and someone's got to you know be an off the ball guy I, I think obviously you're still thrilled to get a talent like scoot but the fit there is a little less you know of a home run um but they're a swing team where if they get Wemby, they are immediately, like, if you, if their ownership group is offering some level of job security, they become fascinating because you have so many high picks from the last couple of years. Jalen Duran looked awesome this year um, in addition to having Cade and whoever the top picks are. Um, they're a fun situation. If they don't, then that's probably a situation where it's a first-time coach is looking for that job, right? Where it's like, okay, I'm going to build with this. Um, you know, there aren't immediate expectations, that kind of thing. And then there's the Raptors who are in between those two things. If they win the draft lottery tonight or jump into the top two, they become extremely interesting. Sure. If not, they're in this weird thing where, yes, there are only 30 jobs in the league, so there are going to be a lot of people lining up for that job opening still. But I don't know that anyone who's like, you know, coached a couple times and is a vet and is used to being in the – like I don't know that it's a home run landing spot – um, you know, even for someone like Monty Williams, for example, who is a tremendous person and a great culture builder and a better coach than he got credit for, um, like, like he didn't deserve to wear that Phoenix thing, but he also just got paid $21 million to 
go away. And he's someone who has dealt with some family tragedies and things like that. And is a little on the older end. Like, is he all that interested in jumping back into a job for a 500 team? I don't know. Um, I don't think Doc Rivers and Mike Budenholzer are in the mix for the Raptors. Um, So yeah, the Raptors are kind of this in between where the other four teams are very, very obvious destinations. Yeah, three of them. Raptors are fifth. Well, you got yeah, like in the pecking order, they're fifth. Like who? I I mean, who's putting the Raptors above any of those other teams? Some people would. If the Pistons land like third or fourth tonight or something like that, it's it's not a like they have some interesting young pieces, but they're a ways away. Right. I mean, but with that comes the lack of expectations. Yes, but then you're not talking about anyone who's like. I mean, there are, again, there are only so many jobs, but like, I don't think like a Frank Vogel's looking mm-hmm. at that or something like that, right? It's, uh, you know, I think. Okay, so either fourth or fifth? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if it were you, where would you, where would you choose? To me, that's like an obvious, it, it's, it's not a debate. And I think it's the Milwaukee Bucks, right? A team that was already, I mean, had the best record in the NBA during the regular season, stubbed yeah. its toe, and like you can point to some pretty specific coaching inadequacies as being the reason why they've fumbled the bag in yeah. the postseason. The- you have a former MVP, and yeah, I know the free throw shooting can become an issue at the end of, of postseason games. Who cares? Like, mm-hmm. we, he's won a championship with, like, a, we've now discovered, like, not the best head coach. He still won a championship with mm-hmm. that dude. Like, that is yeah. the place to me. And Giannis is only 28. Yeah, there's a there's a lot to like there. I, I think I'd put Milwaukee first. The only like the one consideration and this isn't a consideration for me. Uh, it's probably not a consideration for you because once you get past a certain amount of money, um, the Philly and Phoenix jobs are going to have the biggest price tags. Mm. Like so if that's something that matters to you or you're, you're choosing between them, that is maybe a factor. Um, but that's an interesting one, though, like just splitting the hairs between Philly and Phoenix. So Philly, I mean, Embiid's younger, but he's way more fragile. I mean, he's, you can't say way more fragile. So if I'm a coach that thinks maybe this is my last turn at a head coaching gig. So, yeah. you know, someone who's in their 60s or has flopped a couple places or whatever. I like Phoenix better because it's a short window, right? Mm-hmm. Philly, Joel Embiid is still on the younger end. That market is rabid um Mm -hmm. and and there are big expectations that come with that for installing something longer term i i think if i'm if i think i maybe only have like three years as a head coach left or one head coaching contract left or whatever phoenix is the choice for me over philadelphia i still think milwaukee's number one either way because i think you can walk into next season the favorite to win yeah and they don't have to do anything like here's the thing you have huge question marks you mentioned in philly that joel Embiid, or sorry that james harden is a pending free agent if he opts out which he absolutely will uh so what do you do how do you fill in the running mate for joel Embiid? the suns are obviously going to try and rid themselves of chris paul and deandre Ayton. we've heard that plenty and there's some toxicity there with devin booker and the way the season ended for them and in consecutive blowouts in elimination games um yeah i i there's 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 question marks with with both of those franchises and then you go to the raptors even if you're bullish on their potential and the ownership and the and the stability of that team this is a team that could very easily this offseason trade their best player pascal siakam and that's the other thing you you talk about stability and stuff like that but what is the direction right and and if you're the raptors front office how much can you you know promise in a coaching you know negotiation or interview process or whatever like you're probably holding these coaching interviews that you're doing right now like having twin track interviews right. where you're asking an assistant coach okay if we, do this. if we go in this direction what do you look at what are you trying to do if we go in this direction what do you look at what are you trying to do and i mean it's you you have to have a coach in place before you make all those roster moves like it's it's the thing Dwayne Casey would point to that yeah 
uh, if they had traded for Kawhi, yeah. maybe I don't get fired because you have Kawhi Leonard now, and that's the material change, not a coaching change. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's an awkward coaching search to be going through. Well, and I mean, if you're already not the team, I mean, if you wanted to try and jump the queue and not be ranked fourth or fifth in this coaching search, would you try and lock somebody up earlier than the other two? My guess is that because of Detroit's opening, even though Ime Udoka jumped quick on Houston, and, and so the Detroit opening with the lottery tonight yeah. and the questions that the way that Philadelphia-Boston series was going, one of those coaches was going to be at best on the hot seat, right? Mm-hmm. Like Joe Mazzula steered out of it, had a really good game six and game seven. Um, you know, he, he's avoided that. And they, yeah. they're in the conference. That was a good job by him to tell Jason Tatum to score 51 points in game seven. Well yeah, done. I agree. <laughs> um, no, they did some they did some good stuff on Embiid and Harden and, sure. and stuff like that over the course of that series too. Um, it just took a couple games to kind of like find your way into it. Um, so you could try to jump the line, but... Here's the thing. If if it's an established head coach yeah. who's a big name, they're saying I'm not doing anything until Philly, Milwaukee, and Phoenix do their thing because yeah. I'm in the mix for those. And if you're one of the coaches who's, you know, longer term, first time head coach, that kind of stuff, you're probably saying, I want to wait and see how the lottery goes with the Pistons thing. Yeah. And I, I think honestly, wouldn't you want to wait to see how it shakes out as far as a potential Pascal Siakam trade is concerned? You can't wait that long though. Like, I mean, a, like Pascal wouldn't get traded until July. Mm. What are you going to do? You're going to go through the whole draft process and all your free agent meetings and stuff like that without a coach. Like even last time they waited five weeks, but they had Nick nurse mm-hmm. in before the draft. Mm-hmm. Um, like even right now they're like the combine is, or the G league uh, showcase thing was, was this past weekend and it's lottery tonight and it's combine week. And you're going through all of that. Like you would love to have your head coach be a part of, Hey, we maybe have a, uh, we have a lottery pick. We're doing all these interviews with lottery pick, potential lottery picks. Would love for my head coach to be there, being in those interviews, <laughs> getting to know the player, giving us some feedback on uh-huh. what they think about their game and their personality and stuff. It's not the best scenario to not have a head coach in place right now. So I, I don't think they're in, well, they're obviously not in a rush and they did take five weeks last time, but I don't think you want to drag this thing out too long. Um, what do you make of Mark Spears's tweet about the potential Nothing. relationship between Doc Rivers? He, 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 Uh, tweeted quote raptors vice chairman and president masai ujiri entered the nba as an unpaid scout with the orlando magic who were then coached by doc rivers wonder if the past relationship and long friendship can lead to interest from the raptors with rivers for their head coach opening certainly not a guy that's at the top of the queue as far as potential candidates considering his postseason there's a bunch there's a bunch there i I, masai and doc do have a relationship and i'm sure there's a ton of mutual respect there yeah but first of all the word right where i stop in that tweet is unpaid yeah if doc rivers and masai had that good a relationship masai wouldn't have been an unpaid scout Uh, he would have been on the payroll the other thing is is like that's a front office thing right like the head coach is not signing unpaid scouts right mm-hmm. like that's a it's a front office thing i i think messiah at this point has a lot of really good relationships uh, around the league from having been around a long time and been the orlando organization the denver organization the toronto organization um i think those things are interesting but like the fit is like the timeline fit and the what doc rivers has done well over the years versus what the raptors need right now also the fact that like since he entered the league, Doc Rivers has like never taken more than like three months not playing or coaching. Like he's mm-hmm. always been other, like the only time he's had off really was the lockout. So like if I'm, he's made a lot of money too, and, and he would be very, very good at broadcasting. Mm-hmm. If I'm him, I'm not in a rush to go to a 500 situation either. Yeah. I, I can't imagine anybody 
is is super in a rush to, to sign up for this Raptors no, situation. No, there, there are the a lot openings. of people though because again, there are only thirty jobs and there there are only like five openings is not that many when we've already heard like the Raptors have interviewed like a dozen different people. Mm. There aren't enough jobs for all of them. But by the way, one of their candidates you're was the suspended last domino. today yeah. as the WNBA season is fast approaching. Becky Hammond has been suspended two games, two games uh, by the WNBA for yeah. Well, I mean, you can explain it better yeah, than me. So, so the Aces, uh, the Las Vegas Aces, um, were stripped of a draft pick, by the way, first of all, um, because they offered a player in extension, in an extension, um, impermissible benefits. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as they were uh, working out uh, uh, an extension with Tarika Hamby, uh, they offered her things you could not offer her. Um, then the Becky Hammond suspension comes under the uh, for a violation of the respect in the workplace policies. The reporting around that has been that it had to do with how the aces handled and treated and spoke to Hamby around her pregnancy. Um, you know, I, I don't want to talk too much out, out of turn with respect to that but, but she was suspended so yes. obviously there was some, yes. some and, and something are, untoward in regards and, to how that that situation was yes. dealt with in the and, workplace and the WNBA union uh, the players union has fought very very hard for maternity rights sure in the through collective bargaining and it's been a really important uh, or several really important steps forward for the women of the WNBA so to have a team violate that I mean I guess like from a, a labor and union perspective it, it's a good signal that a team and a coach were punished for it. It's yeah. not, it's not something that's just there in, in letter only. Um, by the way, the WNBA season is only 40 games. So that's the equivalent of like a four game suspension in, in the NBA. Yeah. It's a, it's a pretty sizable suspension to start the year. Um, but yeah, if the WNBA is going to continue to grow and continue to sustain and have a expansion franchise in Toronto, and you're going to attract more young women, um, not just from the NCAA game, but from Canada and internationally, you're going to have to have things like, it have things in place and managed well, like what happens when a player gets pregnant, not only from a competition standpoint and a return to play standpoint, but in a, just how they're treated by the organizations, mm-hmm. because yeah, I get it. Like you, I mean, she intends to return at some point this season, but she just had a baby. Yeah. So like competitively, sure. I would understand whatever the aces feel some kind of way about it, but also like this is a part of life and it's collective right. bargaining, collectively bargained that you have maternity rights and stuff like that. Like you can't, you can't turn around and be a jerk to your players about it. No, you can, but you get suspended if yeah. you do that. Uh, so she is suspended, and I think at this point in the proceedings, I think, I mean, can we scratch her off the potential next head coaching list of the, the Toronto Raptors? I don't think 100%, but the WNBA season starts Friday. Yeah. Um, and, and it goes 40 games, and the Aces are very much expecting to be a, a team that makes a deep playoff run. So, like... Are you, if you're Becky Hammond, are you leaving the job midway through the season? Are you joining the Raptors late in the offseason? Like, there's not a, a great scenario uh, there, on top of which she's the highest paid WNBA coach. She'd make more as an NBA head coach. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's, uh, yeah, the timing of it makes it difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we take a break, and we, we talked to a former Major League pitcher and a good Canadian kid, uh, Ryan Dempster. There was a, uh, a really interesting story I thought written by Travis Sawcheck of the the score about uh, a study done by a Boston University professor who studied umpiring in Major League Baseball and the fact that it's actually you know according to the numbers been pretty good to start this season. You may not notice on an individual night to night basis, but like percentage wise, this has been a tremendous start for umpires, home plate umpires, accuracy, calling the correct balls and strikes this season. And what goes into that? Turns out, umpires are a lot younger. 
than they've been in previous years. Ten umpires retired after last season. That was the largest exodus since 1999. 13% of the 76 full-time umpires, um, those ten umpires accounted for more than 200 years of service on the field. Um, But the umpires who retired averaged 58 years of age. And this year, they're much younger. It's created like a super crop of umpires. And my question to you, Blake, is... Like, why aren't we having physical eye tests being done for Major League umpires? Like, it's probably going to become a moot point because we're going to move towards robot umpires either way. But this is clearly, like, the number one driving factor in good umpiring is having the best and youngest eyeballs. Like, that that seems important and that as it seems like something that's been overlooked for too long in major league baseball. Yeah. And and look, it's something that is, it's not as easy as just, Hey, get younger umpires because major league baseball deals with the same thing that the NBA and NHL are dealing with, which is that the crop of available officiating talent is fairly thin and it's hard to get them the requisite experience um, without like rushing, like balancing, rushing them to the top levels Mm -hmm. with getting them that experience and learning things like, Hey, how do you manage the managers? How do you manage the relationship with players and things like that? Um, On top of which in the NBA and NHL, we deal with the athleticism and speed of the sports and things like that. Um, and, And then you have to get around like, I don't know, the NHL might have the idea of let's get players who flame out like in junior and try to get them on the referee track. Well, nobody really likes referees. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't like maybe it's if you pay them really, really well, you could get some of those. Anyway, all this is to say the logic is obvious. Yeah. You have younger people who are, I don't want to be ageist here because I'm, I'm, you're old. Yeah. I was going to ask you, I mean, you're (laughs) way older than I am. So how, how much has your eyesight declined? Significantly. Yeah. Yeah, it happens. No, that that like there's no avoiding no, it. No glasses or no, contacts here, buddy. Me, me neither. But I do. Yeah, notice it at times. No, this seems like an obvious, obvious yes. thing. And the, the, like the question the, just becomes then: How do you get more young people into the umpiring dude. pipeline who are getting the experience that Major League Baseball deems necessary by the time you don't they're need... 35 instead of by the time they're 45? Right? Like I that's, get, like, that's the I'm tough part. Managing personalities is part of it, and hey, learning the whole rule book. Hey, it's a, the most important thing is being able to see yeah <laughs> no that seems like it is that's paramount you know right. the rest of it like you can learn the rest of it on the fly being able to see a hundred mile an hour fastball and whether it's in the strike zone or not probably easier at 35 than it is at 65 i'm guessing i've only been one of those ages yeah so i can't i can't uh answer to that but uh yeah i mean Get it back seemed, to me it seems pretty straightforward yeah that younger stronger eyesight you know whether you go to a different sport and it's it's more about the speed and athleticism and conditioning and stuff like that like um obviously turn these guys over experience is a is a really helpful factor in officiating in a lot of different ways but maybe not with the bang bang play dude there are side of things isn't i'm the son of an airline pilot there are age limits on certain jobs right like you cannot be above the age of 65 and fly an airplane there should be an age limit on umpires. What? Why? Like it should be probably you know less than sixty. I don't know, fifty-five. Maybe you can't be an umpire over the age of fifty-five, and you're given your full pension. You can go about your merry way. But yeah, what? Why? Why? Are, well, what about like? Do you think that this holds at at as extreme level um, outside of behind the plate? Because what if 
what if it just affected the like so that we're not costing people jobs and being anti-labor and upsetting the umpires union and stuff here what if it changed just like the frequency of behind the plate and how those rotations work because i can't imagine like the third base umpire is all mm-hmm. that impacted by it right and, and you could still be the crew chief from that position you could still um you know bring some of the experiential factor i'm open to that but yeah how about I, I think it's totally reasonable to to have like I mean it would be, have to be collectively bargained so they'd have to sit down and the umpires would yeah. have to say yeah sure we'll hang them up at fifty five which is probably not where we're and headed he, and here's the issue with that and it's the same issue with any sport like the players when they negotiate it's very hard to get the current union to vote for things that might improve the situation for not people That's in the it, future man. who are not union members right, right now right yeah. like yep, yep. like the NBA one of the reasons that the age limit ends up getting every every collective bargaining we hear the age limit's going to be re- mm-hmm. revisited the age limit's going to be revisited but then when it comes down to it you're asking 450 people mm-hmm. to vote on something and value something that will take away some of their jobs That's for right. people who are not in the union. So, I mean, good luck getting the umpires union on board with that. All right. Uh, we are a fast approaching first pitch Blue Jays Yankees game two. The first game since Aaron Judge's eyes were darting all over the place. We'll talk to Ryan Dempster, host of Intentional Talk, former major league pitcher next as the fan drive time continues. Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy, Sportsnet 59 of the fan and Sportsnet 360. Fan drive time. Sportsnet 59 of the fans. Sportsnet 360. It's Ben Ennis. It's Blake Murphy. It's the Blue Jays. It's the Yankees for game two down at Rogers Center. But the first game in the post-Aaron Judge darting his eyes all over the place era. We'll see what comes of it tonight with Kevin Gossman on the hill. Let's talk to Ryan Dempster, host of uh, Intentional Talk, former Major League pitcher, good Canadian as well, uh, who joins us on the line. How's it going, Ryan? I'm doing great. Afternoon. Uh, afternoon to you. Um, so you ever had a guy at the plate give you some side eye? Like you go look in somewhere that wasn't directly back at you? Yeah, sure. All the time. I, I think, you know, guys, some guys look in certain places. Some guys maybe, are, you know, hear something going on and they're looking. And I think, I think guys look all over the place at times, even look away to just get refocused back in towards, um, towards the mound but yeah i, I don't know i don't i, I kind of see all everything that's been going on i don't i don't buy into it that's just me huh it's not just you it was me as well i didn't i didn't i thought it was a uh, much ado about nothing um for the most part if it was something though ryan do, is that something like do you care do the guys in the in the clubhouse care all that much like it, it feels like it's kind of fair game if you can pick something up anyway yeah i mean unless you're like literally using some sort of electronic then and who cares? It's a game of chess, right? If you're going to you're going to find something in somebody, and and there's some sort of way of looking over, and somebody's putting a hand on the rail, you know, there was guys used to lead off second base, and they would put a hand on the pants, or they shorten their lead, or wide strike, all those things. It's all part of it. I used to pitch sometimes like Giovanni Soto, and I would go a whole inning without putting a sign down. <laughs> we would just have we'd have little cues between us, and and that's just all part of it. So yeah, I don't. I, I truly think that he saw the Blue Jay, the mascot. Um, holding a hot dog, and Aaron Judge started thinking about today being Tuesday, which means Looney <laughs> Hot Dog Day at uh, the ballpark, and I think he got excited. I think that's what happened, and he hit a home run. No, his name is Ace, okay? They they retired Ace, B.J. Birdie, okay? He's gone. Yeah. 
Same with Domer. The, the, the Sky Dome back in the day used there to have its own. There was not one named. He wasn't named Domer. That was his actual. I thought that was just something people on Twitter called him. No, his name was Domer the Turtle. He was the mascot for the building. Uh, he has also uh, been retired. Uh, okay, so th- there's been some discussion, Ryan, about the maybe the catcher, Alejandro Kirk. You know, he was setting up so early that that location might have been relayed back to some of the Yankee hitters. Uh, this is something Blake and I were discussing earlier. Like, we, we see this all the time that the catchers, you know, do set up late or or they deceive a little bit as far as setting up a target and then moving it uh, elsewhere. Is that distracting? Can that be distracting for a pitcher? How do you feel about the potential of a, of a catcher moving his target all over the place? Yeah, I think I was the guy who liked to set up early, but I was also a guy who, who worked quick. So if the catcher gave the sign, I wasn't like taking three breaths before I threw it. I was ready to go. So, But I understand that some guys were fine with it. I didn't like the guy moving around. That was just me. I, I don't know if it's because ADD or something that I have, but I didn't like the movement. I liked somebody setting up there, but... um. Yeah, I, at the end of the day, right? Like if we we can guess or think, but it was kind of a bad pitch, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, a cement mixing breaking ball in the zone. That was the bigger issue than anything else going on. So if you're going to throw those to Aaron Judge, more often than not, it's going to get you know an exit velocity over over a hundred mile, hundred ten miles an hour, and be hit hard and far somewhere. So the earlier one that, that Aaron Judge had given up was a, an Alec Manoa pitch that there was no side-eyeing, there was no controversy about it. It was just a 93-mile-an-hour fastball uh, kind of over the middle, which is uh, also not a very good pitch to throw uh, the reigning home run champ. Ryan, I'm curious as to what you've seen from Alec Manoa so far this year as he's you know had really his first sustained struggle in, in the majors and kind of what your experience has been like you know if you hit a skid like that trying trying to change things and fix things on the fly while, while still having to pitch every fifth day. Yeah. You know, like I would love to have a conversation with him about it just to know exactly how he's feeling and things like that. But I think that is kind of normal. Like if you, if you look at it this way, like his, his jump in innings, right? Like where he went uh, from his career high to where he was last year and then kind of going through, you know, spring training again and the off season and then you get into you know the season again it's just a, it's just a lot of innings you know like a lot a, a big jump and and i think you know fatigue starts to set in or just you know a time you can get these stretches like i remember say for example 2000 the year 2000 i go to 226 innings and then the next year I go from 226 to 210 or something like that again. Mm-hmm. But the jump so at the end of that next season for me, the last like probably two months of the season, man, I was just, my arm was just spent, you know, like battling tendonitis and going through things. I wasn't injured or anything like that, but it's just, it's just a lot, you know, and that's a big jump. And, and then you, and then you breaking balls, not as crisp and those kind of things. I mean, he went from 111, you know, 2020, the minor leagues was so short to 196. Like, you know, there's just a few more home runs being given up in there. Um, you know, a few more walks, right? Like the walk to strikeout ratio is not there. And that could be fatigue. It just could be lack of execution. Um, you know, and, and that's part of it. It's part of your growth as a pitcher, you know, every year, a year in, year out, given everything that's gone on in the last few years with baseball, you know, pandemic and then a lockout and all these things. 
um, it's hard to get through. And he, but you got to figure out a way. And he, he works really hard, and he'll be he'll be fine. Um, but just uh, getting through that stretch is not always easy, especially in the beginning of your career. Yeah, well, and especially you're, you're dealing with new rules this year with the with the pitch clock and 15 seconds between pitches when nobody's on base and 20 when there are runners on base, which has been uh, the case more often than not for Alec Manoa, honestly, this season. But also, Ryan, he's a guy that, you know, he didn't have overwhelming stuff. Like the slider's great pitch for him, has been uh, in his previous first two years in, in Major League Baseball, but not he's not striking out. 10 guys per nine, right? Like he had a pretty pedestrian strikeout rate, but he was a guy that read bats, right? Like he was, he was a pitcher's pitcher. It still is. I wonder if the, the, the pitch clock and the new rules affect guys like that more than others. And I'm not even just talking about the recovery because you're right. There's, there's obviously something there as, as far as, you know, reaching innings totals that he never has before and maybe an adjustment there. But for a guy that, that doesn't do it on just pure stuff that is like, you know, going through the process of trying to outthink a batter. Do you see a correlation there to the pitch clock? Well, I, I think that happens. I think it has happened to guys. I think on both sides, I think there's been hitters, you know, guys, but Juan Soto have struggled and used to always, I mean, he's been hot more of late, but, you know, just getting used to managing that element that he, that was kind of a, a specialty of his managing the clock and the pitcher and, timing pitches and seeing things and then getting out of the box and getting back in and playing these little chess games. And if you're a pitcher that, you know, is used to doing that, yeah, there is an adjustment. I know you can say, Oh, you should have been working on it. Cool. He has been working on it. Like, this, <laughs> you know, he's making his starts. He's doing, doing what he needs to do, but there's just been some struggles. And um, at the end of the day, it just comes down to execution. And I'm sure he'd like to be executing better than he is. Um, probably throwing more strikes. Like, you know, there's a, there's, just to see, like, the fact that, you know, there's as walks, you know, at 32 walks this year, just 54 last year. So you're already approaching your total in, in a way less amount of innings. So is that – are you picking too much on the corners? Are you are you not attacking the strike zone enough? Is your breaking ball, you know, falling short of the zone because it doesn't quite have the zip on it so guys lay off it? Like, there's all these different things that factor into this. But the bottom line is that you have ups and downs through the season. We just not used to it with him because his track record so far in the big leagues, you know, it says a rookie is nine and two with a three, two last year is eight, you know, 16 and seven with a two, two, four is dominant. Mm -hmm. So we're just like, what is it that's going on? But like I said, you know, there's, I think there's a lot of different moving parts. And so, you can't poke your finger at one thing. No, we're all we're all looking for explanations, right, or fixes. And one of them might be the fact that, hey, he's been with Alejandro Kirk. Like, those two have been a battery that's been together basically his entire major league career. And not to say that Alejandro Kirk has done a bad job, but, like, the idea of maybe mixing that up by changing his, his personal catcher and having it be Danny Jansen for a start or two, maybe that having an impact. Like, how do we make... Like where is that on on the the list of of important things that that a pitcher um, has to deal with um, over the course of a regular season? Did were you a guy that that cared one way or another who was catching you? I I, I know Alec Manoa is not the only guy with a personal catcher. How would you feel about the Blue Jays switching it up and and going to Danny Jansen for a start or two? Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely like had catchers that I like to throw into more than other guys. Um, I think sometimes that can be an easy cop out, but it also can help because you get into patterns maybe with a certain guy, or you're not in sync with them, um, and then and then that starts to happen. But at the same time, maybe just even like 
we get so caught up in scouting reports, right? Like scouting report says this, we throw this guy, this, and then this count, this, and then this count, this, and then we, this is where we're going with two strikes. Well, that's great. If you're executing pitch one and then pitch two and then pitch three, but if you're not, then those scouting reports don't mean as much. And, but yet we still want to lean on them because that's what the scouting report says. Scouting report says three one breaking balls are great to this guy. Cool, my breaking ball is not what it should be, and so three one I'm either walking him or it's spinning up there, and then he's hitting it hard. So, you know, I, I was lucky enough to play with Greg Maddox, and you know, he was really really good advice. When I said, "What do you do when you're struggling?" He said, "Just try and get through a lineup with your fastball first time." Mm. You know, because because that sets so many different things up and you just start to take all this like questioning out of it. And just next thing you know, you got great fastball command, you're locked in there and now you put hitters in swing mode and you might get a couple quick outs and you know, you still got to execute. You can't just throw it down the middle. These are major league hitters. You have to execute pitches, but sometimes if we can just simplify things when things are going crazy and we're searching and grasping for all the answers, if you just take the simplest approach, sometimes that works the best. Hey, uh, one of the things that got lost a little bit in in the weirdness of yesterday's game was Aaron Boone getting tossed from a game in which his team was leading six nothing at the time. The Blue Jays made it a game after that, and almost like coincidentally, right as that was happening, the Blue Jays kind of mounted their comeback. And I'm not saying one plus one equals two here because there was an error that led to that. And yeah, I don't know, but like, what do you make of it? And and I also heard Aaron Boone talking about the ejection and saying normally. He knows the line uh, and and whether he crossed it or not, and didn't think he crossed it yesterday. wasn't in, wasn't trying to get tossed from that game. But what do you think of a manager getting tossed from a game as teams leading six nothing? Hey, you, you know, I guess the game kind of dictates, and you know, I think it was something that accumulated. There's a lot of stuff going on all day, and he was just letting the umpire know you're accountable too. Like, you know, you can't just sit here and, and not call pitches. You can't call pitches that are not strikes. Strikes. You just can't do it. You know, on a consistent basis, listen, I can let you get away with a few, but if it's going to consistently be like this, you need to clean it up. Mm. And there's nothing wrong with that. I, I've been a long, a long proponent of I don't understand why every umpire gets to umpire home plate. I think that some umpires are amazing behind home plate. It's not an easy thing to do. And I think some umpires are not very good back there and that they should ump the bases. I just really feel that way. I, I think, like, I was a pitcher my whole career. I wasn't Shohei Otani. They didn't say, Ryan, go play short. <laughs> You know, I pitch like that was it. Yeah. I'm a baseball player. Why don't I get to catch? No, you pitch, and that's how it goes. Why do umpires, if you're terrible behind the plate a lot or you're not consistent or you're not good, why not just get demoted so that you have to work hard? You shouldn't just be rewarded with being able to call a game because it's your turn. Yeah. You know, like, no, if it's your turn in the rotation and you're not pitching well, you don't pitch. If you're an umpire and you're not very good behind home plate, cool, you guess what? You're working two of the three games behind home plate because you're good at it. And that's the best. That's what we want. We want the best umpires in the best positions and the ones who are the best at it. Yeah, that's hilarious because we were like literally just having that exact same conversation because there's this report that, um, yeah, there, there's uh, the umpiring in general has gone up this year as far as percentage calling balls and strikes. And it's because there's been a, a large turnover. Older umpires retired. A lot of them retired. And there's a lot of new young umpires in the game. And Blake, yeah, proposed that exact thing that, hey, you can stick around as a 65-year-old umpire. Maybe if you just do the basis. Doesn't that make sense? Like, there's a, can we put an age limit maybe on home, home plate umpiring? <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah. I just think you just have to be performance based. Like mm. if if you're making calls out on the base pass and you're constantly missing them and they're overturning your calls, 
maybe you need to go back down to triple A. Yeah. Like, you know, like that's, isn't that fair? Like we don't they do no, that in the Japanese league. I, I'm, I'm sure they do it in a lot of, in a lot of places, but you can't, it's like, once you're in, you're in and like, you know, you gotta be able to move around out there. Like, Hey, I'm part of a high school game. If you don't get out behind from home plate as an umpire, and move around when there's plays being made, and you just think you can see everything with your mask on from behind on play. Good luck, man. You can't see that stuff. So you got to be able to, you know, still be physically fit enough to move around, and you have to make the calls right. And if you don't, you shouldn't be rewarded with continuing to be able to, you know, call games. But that being said, there's a lot of unbelievably good umpires. Like I watch them, and they'll call a game, and there'll be a hundred pitches from a starter, and they might miss two. Like. Two, I blinked seven times during three innings of calling games. Like the fact that they're that in tune and that good of a strike zone is is really impressive. Uh, Ryan, you're impressive. Thank you, thank you so much for doing this. Appreciate it. Hey, absolutely, guys. Yeah, fun series up in Toronto. I wish I was there for Looney Hot Dog Night. Yeah, yeah we'll mail you some. See, you, man. Ew. Okay, thanks. They, they preserve well, I heard. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they go bad. Uh, there's Ryan Dempster of uh, Intentional Talk. Uh, former major leaguer professional blake murphy agreeer uh, <laughs> by the way uh so i looked up what so we have umpscorecards.com that, right. that evaluates I love it. um based you know how how good each umpire is at, at calling balls and strikes accurately uh i looked up the top five over this is a sample of 2021 2022 2023 they're just babies i bet 35 to 42 age range yeah all, all five of the top all, five yeah turns out yeah, when you have young, good eyes, it's and, and again, to be a guys good who were playing baseball at a fairly high level flamed out and then went into uh, the umpire pipeline. Um, no kidding. If all this umpire talk doesn't have you fired up for uh, baseball this weekend, maybe this will. This weekend marked the unofficial start of summer with Blue Jays May two four weekend presented by Ryobi. To celebrate, we'll be giving away tickets to the game this Friday against the Baltimore Orioles in today's episode, tomorrow's episode, and Thursday's episode. To enter, listen for the code word in each episode and text that code word to 590-590. Today's code word is going to test your spelling. It is Kiermeyer. Yeah, don't spell it out. So text Kiermeyer to Google. Google. Text Kiermeyer to five ninety five Ryan to five ninety five ninety right now. Enter for your chance to win. Uh, this won't be a weekend you want to miss. Also, the first fifteen thousand entrants on Friday get a Blue Jays mesh hat, and the first fifteen thousand entrants on Saturday get that Blue Jays pickleball paddle that Dan Schulman has been so excited mm. about on the broadcast. So again, uh, tickets today, tomorrow, Thursday. Text the code word to five ninety five ninety. Today's code word is Kiermeyer. This lets us do my favorite thing: is uh, whenever we do contests, there are always lots of spelling mistakes in the text line as you'd expect people are texting in fumbling with their their phones or whatever um this is going to be an all-timer for spelling mistakes holy cow yeah and it, it until he started playing for the blue jays not a guy that i could have spelt his name sight unseen but now and you know written it out enough by the way kevin kiermeyer back in the lineup today he's hitting ninth uh playing center field as i mentioned kevin biggio is uh, getting a rare start for him He's hitting eighth, uh, Danny Jansen doing the catching. George Springer is the DH today with Merrifield. Now in his customary spot at second base, uh, Matt Chapman. Third base, Dalton Varsho hitting fourth in left field. Vlad, Bo in their customary, normal spots in the order. Time now for last call brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. Blue Jays, Yankees, their ace on the mound. That is the Blue Jays. Uh, Yankees ace goes tomorrow, Garrett Cole. Um, 
Blue Jays have Kevin Gossman on the hill trying to win a game after losing the opener yesterday. They are minus 175 favorites over the Yankees, who are plus 150 to win. And the NBA's conference final starting tonight, as Blake mentioned, 8.30 every night. <laughs> uh, Nikola Jokic and the Nuggets at home against the Lakers in game one and the Nugs. Six and a half point favorites. Uh, Heat Celtics goes tomorrow. That was last call brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. So whatever's been wrong with Jamal Murray, he's still, as of right now, an hour and a half before the game, questionable for tonight. He's a game time call. He's been dealing with uh, it's the same what illness. Is, yeah, allegedly a pretty. Oh, yeah, what George Springer had. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, Springer was like longer than a week. Um, he played the last game through it and had twenty six four and four with four steals. Mm. My guess, he plays. Yeah, I, I think you're probably right. I'm surprised you didn't want to get to the Jeff Doughton Jr. had surgery. Yeah, I didn't know where to work it in. Um, Jeff Doughton Jr. underwent <laughs> surgery on his right ankle today to remove loose bodies from mm. in there. Um, you the, don't want loose he's going to be in a walking boot for two weeks. The He is a restricted free agent this summer, but uh, the press release came from the Raptors, said he's going to do all his rehab with the Raptors. He's going to rehab in Toronto. He's been at every Jays and Leafs and, and WNBA game. He's Mr. Toronto now. Mm. Uh, so get well soon, Jeff Doughton Jr. We'll see you at some summer league yeah we sure will all right blue jays yankees at a closed rogers center enjoy the ball game everybody will be back tomorrow fan drive time ben ennis blake murphy sports at 59 the fan and sports at 360